0: Hello, and welcome to Ship Talking Pod. I'm your host, Brandon. And this week, I'm excited to welcome back George to the co-host seat. George, what's the story? The story started long
1: ago, Brandon. I sent you an email and you requested my auditory talents and I've managed to scramble my way to the top of this this scurvy ladder and I am now somehow a a temporary co-host once again. My Machiavellian schemes are paying off. How are you?
0: I'm good. I always forget that what's the story is more of an Irish phrase. So when I say it with my other friends outside the country, they're like, what's the story? The tale. What what do you mean? Tell me a good tale. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, doing good though. It's great to have you back. Of course, Robbie's still on his shore leave Mm -hmm. but very excited to have you here we have got a fun show ahead of us always good to be here um
1: soon i will be track famous no doubt my life is on the up sure is So, on this week's episode, Brandon is going to be sitting down for a chat with not one, but two members of Trek ship royalty. The first is legendary ship designer and creator of the beloved Enterprise-D, as well as many other ships, Mr. Andrew Probert, the big cheese himself, Mm -hmm. and Thomas Moroni is going to be joining us as a special guest host. He is the lead ship artist for Star Trek Online.
0: I've really been looking forward to speaking with Andrew for quite a while so we can discuss all shipwork, not only from TNG, but of course the motion picture as well. And I'm also, of course, very happy to, welcome back my good friend and previous colleague thomas to the show he of course joined us on episode one alongside rick sternbach
1: I always forget that Andrew worked on the motion picture as well. Um, But yes, it's going to be wonderful having Thomas as part of the discussion. I know he's worked on bringing Andrew's creations to life in game, including some we've never seen before on screen.
0: Yeah, he's done a lot of cool work, and I'm excited for the two of them to get together. I actually think it's the first time they're ever speaking with each other, so those are always fun chats when we bring together two ship artists for the first time on the same episode.
1: The chat with these two during the episode is going to be 16 minutes long, and our patrons that are subscribed via Patreon at the Enterprise C tier or higher we'll have access to the full expanded chat that's runtime is around 45 minutes.
0: But before we go meet the guys, we're going to review your submissions for last week's Community Queue and share the next one. And after the chat with them, we'll warp on over to this week's All Hands on Deck segment and announce who our next very fine guest will be. We've got a lot to get through this week, so let's make it so and get into this week's Community Queue segment.
1: For this week's Community Queue, we asked you all to imagine you were in command of a California-class starship and to decide on which civilization from the TNG era you'd be most excited to make
0: second contact with. This one was fun, especially since Lower Decks just had its worldwide premiere, and of course the California-class ship is in that, and it's all about having second contact with civilizations. So we put it out to the community, and the most submitted civilization that came in were the Binars.
1: Oh, that's interesting. When I first saw them, it struck me that they would be a very good candidate for Borg or assimilation, uh, but then I didn't yeah. think about them much more, so it's interesting that they're at the uh, forefront
0: of some people's referential memory for Trek. Although with Borg assimilation, would that automatically be a two-for-one deal for the Borg, since the Bionars always come as pairs? <laughs> I, I suppose so, that's great. That's uh, Now that's efficiency, you know, seven of nine would be <laughs> proud. Yeah, it was cool to see them. I, of course, love the episode they debuted in. I think my favorite thing is their names, though, of course, all the binary numbers, but very, very cool species. Others that were frequently mentioned were the Sheliac, which is definitely an interesting one, since, of course there were so many communications issues at the first start obviously they didn't speak any federation languages and then they started to learn them and the federation couldn't understand them even telepaths couldn't get through to them so very interesting to see this one because first contact was so challenging Uh, maybe just for fun everyone who submitted this is a bit sadistic that they wanted second contact (laughs) to happen with them the other one that was frequently submitted was the Edo we won't go into them too much because we would probably earn ourselves an explicit rating for the episode (laughs) but for all of those of you out there who submitted that I've got my eye on I guess it makes sense that people would want to see second contact with the species that had the most
1: challenging first contacts. you know? I mean, judging from what we saw on uh, TNG, how many first contacts were just a nice buffet in that one nice sort of sandy village that every planet seems to have. It's just Picard drinking wine with some nice people. So <laughs> the ones that are more difficult where they can't understand
0: each other and there's conflict, I guess that's always going to be further up people's list. Yeah, true. That is that is true. I didn't think about it that way. Uh, surprisingly, we also saw a lot of submissions for the Cations, but actually their first contact, as far as we know, were during the TOS days because they were in the animated series. Mm. Though, of course, Lower Decks is in the TNG era and maybe because... we see so many of them, it came to mind that they're kind of part of that era. But I was happy to see that because I have a engineering character in Star Trek Online who's a Cation, and uh, they're a lot of fun to jump around with because they've got special jumping abilities. So I don't don't think we ever saw that in any canon that they could jump pretty high, but I might be mistaken.
1: I mean, I understand the turnaround for episodes of TNG was pretty quick, and I don't know what kind of intricate bungee system you'd need to be launching a bit part actor into the sky. Uh, So I see maybe why they skipped on that bit of the particular canon for the race there. I don't know if you remember, Brandon, but there was that one episode of Voyager, Blink of an Eye, in season six, I think, where they encounter a planet where time is much faster, so, you know, they find them where they're a proto-civilization and within a few days, they're sending uh, probes up to scan Voyager, and it's been like a, you know, they think it's some kind of symbolic star or something. Uh, I want to see what second contact with them would look like. Obviously, they're in the Delta Quadrant, but assuming they haven't destroyed themselves, what kind of technology
0: will they have, and, like, can they leave the bubble? Yeah. I guess when I was thinking of the question i was like stick to tng but tng era includes many other things so fair enough george i like your thinking outside of the box dubiously tng era. that's a good <laughs> point for the
1: next community queue, we're asking you if you could make one ship that was designed by a member of the fanbase canon.
0: which ship would that be? This one's going to be very interesting. I have some ideas of what we might see and hear coming from the community, but I am definitely looking forward to the answers. And of course, you can share those with us via email, the contact submission form on our website, or even hail us via Twitter. Well, Brandon, I just got a communique on my pad that Andrew and Thomas have arrived at Space
1: Dock, so I'll transport you over there now for your chat with them if you're ready. Sounds good. One to BMO. Over,
0: energize.
2: somebody will ask me, well, what would an Enterprise Z look like? So I've come up with a few configurations that I think probably push that whole design combination, you know, saucer, engines, engineering, and so on, Mm -hmm. as far as it can go. Yeah. Well, that's the whole thing. You know, Gene really didn't want us to deviate very far from the original, you know, the TOS Enterprise because he always felt that that ship is a character like any of the other characters. And it certainly is the symbol of Star Trek. So, you know, it's rare that you see any advertising. Went about star trek or used to be that did not include an image of the enterprise anyway we we still had that ballpark to play in matt jeffries came up with and it's it's really funny how many how many different ways can you <laughs> do yeah. this thing and make it all look different but yet the same but
0: Yeah, I think one of my favorite stories about you when you were designing Enterprise D was with the saucer and trying to figure out how it attached to its main engineering. And you saw that piece of wire that someone was walking around with, and you just happened to glance up and say, that's exactly what I need to do to get the D to actually connect like it should.
2: I was waiting for a meeting with gene and uh, this electrician walked through the room and he had this uh, electrical cable, you know, that kind of looks like a gooseneck lamp, mm-hmm. you know, and he just had it in a big loop. So it it came out of his hand and went into a loop and came back into his hand as if it was the rim of the saucer. Right. You know, and the way it connected back, I thought, "Well, that's perfect because I, Since I wanted to go organic on this D, I didn't want to, uh, you know, plaster a straight dorsal into this saucer. You know, I wanted to somehow blend, but I couldn't come up with the uh, idea on how to do that until that thunderbolt just happened to walk by. So, yeah.
3: It's it's amazing how those moments happen. And usually you're trying to solve a problem and then you kind of have to step away from it and kind of wait for inspiration to strike or, you know, you're lying in bed and then all of a sudden you get like, oh, that's the missing piece, right? Um, Yeah, well, in in that case,
2: a lot of times ideas pop into your head when you deliberately don't think about them. You know, like if you go, I don't know, you're at home, you take a shower and you're standing there in the shower and it's like, oh, yeah, now I can understand what to do or go for a walk or whatever. With me, I get some of that, but the other side is I just keep cranking out drawings until I kind of (laughs) hold my way down to something that works at the moment.
0: And I imagine that extends to not only the ship itself, but maybe certain abilities or certain aspects of the ship. Like, for instance, we knew that And we saw that the galaxy class the enterprise d could saucer separate
2: well yeah that was you know the the saucer separation has always been a part of the starship design you know even kirk's original saucer had the ability to separate although they never did but yeah uh, so that's been part of the package and and the funny thing is is that i didn't know the saucer was going to separate Mm. initially because they kept saying well we're going to have the main section and we're going to have a battle section so i thought well Maybe this battle section would be like a smaller ship nestled into, for instance, mm. the saucer. So mm-hmm. I started doing little sketches of something that would be in the top of the saucer, and you wouldn't know it was there until it separated out.
3: Okay, it's funny you mentioned that because they ended up doing that in Voyager. Uh, with the uh, USS Prometheus that I think Rick Sternbach designed. Um, It was very much a Russian egg (laughs) uh, of ships. Yeah, Yeah, well, you know, at
2: at the time, you know, Gene said, no, no, the saucer is going to separate and the engineering hull is going to be the battle section. Mm. So it's like, oh, crap, I've got all of this (laughs) blended together. (laughs) So so then I had to come up with a way to separate them, you know, to cut those pieces apart so that each would look okay.
4: Right.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: Unto itself, you know what I mean. So I think I came up with a pretty good solution. Yeah, you
0: absolutely did. It's iconic, and it's some of the most magical things that some of us got to experience growing up when we're watching it and seeing this happen for the first time. Is like, wow, ships can separate. It was absolutely magical. And it's interesting you talked about that you built it in the top and maybe pops up because you also have the captain's yacht at the bottom of the saucer. So that was something that also separated. And it sounds like maybe chicken before the egg which which of those maybe came first did one influence the other
2: Um, I don't think so I mean obviously well obvious to me that the Captain yacht came way after the ship had you know had its configuration had the okay. saucer situation uh joint lines and all of that in place and uh i just thought that the captain you know in, in the navy probably in every navy uh, the captain and admirals have their own private shuttles if you will sure you know. sure the captain has a captain's barge and and uh, along with the, you know admiral's barge and and so on and so forth so Uh, which, you know, are basically reserved for dignitaries. Mm -hmm. Whenever the captain wants to go someplace, then that's his private boat. So I thought, well, you know, if if we're based on the Mm -hmm. Navy-ish, you know, let me propose that for our captain. And uh, Gene looked at it and he said, yeah, that's a good idea. So I put it in. And then later on, there's a script that starts out with Captain Picard is away from the ship. Mm-hmm. And he, uh, he radios in or whatever and says, uh, you know, I'm approaching, I'm coming back or whatever the dialogue is. And Riker, he says, like, well, you know, prepare to receive the captain's shuttle. Mm. And I called up the production manager and I said, wait a minute. We have a <laughs> yacht that the captain should be in, not a shuttle craft And he goes, what do you mean? I goes, well, at the bottom of the ship, there's this yacht. He says, Who knows about it? I go, Well, Gene approved it. Right. Mm-hmm. He says, Yeah, it sounds like a pleasure craft. He says, "Now nah, we're just gonna stay with shuttle click.
0: Oh, mm. It's you tell an almost identical story to Rick Sternbach with the aero shuttle that's on the underside of Voyager and when they were talking about you know, the Delta Flyers is like, wait a minute, we've got this other shuttle that's built underneath. We should use this. And there's been this work done on it. And, and it was kind of like, no, we're going to go in this direction. So it's so interesting. You both had those similar situations just, you know, decades apart.
2: Actually, when I was working on the motion picture, I had uh, some proposals for the dry dock. And nobody knows this, but there or should actually be five dry docks orbiting around the space office complex, but oh. mm. uh, they only shot one one dry dock. Is such a waste. Anyway, so I was showing Gene some sketches of uh, dry dock ideas, and uh, the sketches included other ships that were in the dry docks. And I was showing him that what I was proposing was an expandable design. So that it could be reconfigured to smaller ships or taller ships or wider ships. But um, one of those ships happened to be based on one of those single engine designs from
3: uh, Uh, Franz Joseph.
2: Yeah, from Franz Joseph. And Gene said, No, no, he says, We don't have single engine ships. All of the starships in my universe. Operate in tandem. All the engines are in tandem. They're codependent engines. So you can't have two or three. You can't have one. You always have to have two. And so that locked into my head all the way through up into next gen and so on that that was it, you know. And uh, so I continued that thinking with the fact that the engines, because they're codependent, need to see each other. They need to be in line of sight across the hull see each other mm-hmm. so that's what freaks me out about all these subsequent designs where <laughs> like, the hulls are blocking the view and, right. i mean it, it drives me nuts but i'm not on the show anymore so it's like it's not my game but while i was on the ship or show same thing
4: <laughs>
2: uh, everything was designed the same way so if you look at my shuttlecraft the galileo those warp mm-hmm. engines can see each other underneath the hull If you look at the Ferengi Marauder, the hull curves up just enough to let the warp engines see
3: each other underneath. Oh, interesting. So that's why you had that curve there, was for that that line of sight. Okay. Yeah.
2: And then, of course, the Warbird, those engines can definitely see each other. Yeah. (laughs) But, uh, you know, and a lot of people wonder about those, what they call wings, but they're really just supports for the engines. And my original design had a lot more hull, you know, on the center line of the ship so that it didn't look so much like wings, but... You know, when, when when you enter into a collaborative business like Hollywood, things change. Right? Yeah, I'm glad
3: you brought uh-huh. up the Deterodex because one of the original takes on it was vertical, right? Like it looked very different from the final model.
2: Everything in Star Trek is horizontal. So I thought, well, if this is going to be an alien ship, let's make it more alien by having it sure. vertical. You know, and by that time, you know, Berman was on as producer and uh, I showed him the designs and he said, no, let's keep it horizontal. That was it. No particular reason. I explained my thinking and it was like, no. Nope.
3: I'd love to do a riff on that vertical warbird for Star Trek Online, but we have a, a practical problem in the game where the game basically has a chase camera behind the ship. So like, it's really hard for really tall vertical ships because you can't see past the ship to see the actual gameplay. But um, I haven't forgotten about it. It's It's something that I... I'd love to do eventually because I think it's a really cool design. It's a really cool take on Robbie and stuff and it does feel very alien like you said.
0: Thomas, that would be really cool to see somehow, even if it was something we uh, had to fight against if we weren't able to actually yeah. fly it ourselves. So it would definitely be cool to see that in there
3: that's what i was thinking if we make it a enemy dreadnought or something that you can't fly you only fight then we can Mm -hmm. have a lot more freedom to do whatever we want with it
2: well it's huge by comparison to the warbirds the warbird is like twice the length of the enterprise yeah Yeah. it's like four thousand over four thousand feet long and this thing is is ridiculously huge because I I designed it to be a capital ship, you know.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you did a beautiful painting of it for Ships of the Line many years yeah. back, and that's uh, that's I think one of the standout images to come from that calendar. Um, Thank you
0: something that was really cool and it's one of my favorite ships was you know looking at your original designs of the ambassador and you know you have of course worked on the era of the motion picture and how the enterprise evolved into the galaxy class but you also had to create that lineage that extended throughout since of course we had the d and two ships that came in between so it's been really cool to see kind of your designs come to life we recently had ben robinson from eagle moss on and we talked about eagle moss putting out models of ships of concepts that never made it to screen and it's been really cool to see your original Enterprise C model make it there but I imagine that process was really fun trying to think of the lineage between you know to bridge the gap between the ships
2: it was actually pretty easy because what I did was I had a an elevation of the galaxy class Mm -hmm. and I had an elevation of what I would call the B which was the Excelsior and I put the Excelsior above the galaxy class and I drew lines going from the front of the saucer all the way back to the back of the warp engines. Mm. And they sort of, because the Excelsior was so much actually smaller than the D, right. it, it created a triangle, a kind of a funnel shape of lines. Mm. And so then mm. I just started adding parts in between those. Hmm. According to the so <laughs> it is brilliant. literally an in-between proportion to those two ships.
3: Wow, that's crazy, yeah. that's really cool. And
2: um, so then I put that together And then they made um, those half hull models for the uh, officer's lounge, not the observation lounge, but the (laughs) officer's lounge. And that's another thing that sticks in my craw because I designed observation lounges around the entire perimeter of the galaxy class. That's what those little black windows are around the rim. Those mm-hmm. are lounges. Yeah. And uh, designed for people to get away from their daily routine. They could go in there and just look out at the stars. They were dark and they were different sizes. So they could be parties or, or just a couple or whatever. And uh, nobody knew about that. They didn't, you know, you design stuff for a ship and people don't ask you about it. Well, what else can this do? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the window on the top of the bridge. It's like, right. oh my gosh. You know, I thought in the pilot episode when those two crit- critters are like, Flying up away from the planet, I really imagine Picard stepping back and looking up through that window.
0: Oh, that would have been cool. <laughs> hey, now it's it's gonna be up to Thomas to pitch that to the content designers to get us onto a Galaxy <laughs> class and look up through that and see the stars, right?
3: Yeah, I mean we have a we have a good interior galaxy interior with windows and everything, and I think that's one of the things that's um that is exciting to work on a game, because with a game, you don't have to worry about fitting it all into forty two minutes. Mm-hmm actually have to build a space that people explore and you want that space to be a cohesive consistent world and feel like an actual place sure. um and so you do get to to fill in all the margins that uh and use all the things that um maybe they didn't get to do in in the actual mm-hmm. show it's yeah. a great
2: idea uh yeah you can find the bathroom everybody says well where's the bathroom right <laughs>
3: so many people
2: are concerned about the damn bathroom well
4: know.
2: knowing that i designed it into the bridge yeah, there's a Jet, the, you know, and it's, and the, it's even it's even got an acutogram on the door that says "head." You know, yeah, yeah. With different alien races now aboard the ship, uh, it would be interesting when the door opens on the floor. You have these different colored lines and each race would follow its (laughs) line to the receptacle that it could use. Right.
0: (laughs) Gents, I know you both have a lot of design work to get back to, so I really appreciate your time here today. But before I let you go, I've got five rapid-fire questions that I'd like to ask. I'll read the question out and I'd love to know the very first answer that comes to mind. Does that sound good? Uh, No, but
2: I'll do it anyway.
0: (laughs) 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 All right, Andrew, I'm going to put you in the hot seat first. What is your favorite ship?
2: Um, Probably the Vulcan shuttle. What is your favorite series? The original
0: series, TOS. Who's your favorite captain?
2: Really? Of all Star Trek? Yep. Uh, My favorite captain is actually the woman who was on, like, the Reliant in uh, Star Trek IV, the... uh, The Saratoga. Yeah, the Saratoga. She seemed like the most kick-ass, level-headed captain. I mean, there was something about her that instantly said this woman's in charge and uh, she knows what she's doing and I I don't know there was something I really liked about her
0: that's a good answer and if you were headed into Starfleet Academy and had to pick one of the three career tracks would you go into command science or engineering
2: I'd have to go into engineering
4: (laughs) makes sense makes sense
0: And lastly, in the latest season of Star Trek Discovery, we see Federation ships in the future that have detached nacelles. Now we were just speaking about how technology has advanced so far. This is over 1100 years in the future, so really anything is possible. Now engineering reasoning aside, when it comes to design aesthetic, are you a yay or a nay on detached nacelles?
2: It would depend on why they needed to detach. It, if, the, if it was for servicing, it would make sense to have them detachable so that you can replace them quickly. Um, I can't think of, oh, wait a minute. You're talking about this new stuff where they're like floating out there.
0: Those detach nacelles.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, forget that. <laughs> yeah, that, that's another gimmick. That's like the gimmick of the warp engines on Voyager swing up and down, you know? That, that doesn't work for me either.
0: Fair enough, fair enough. Now, Thomas, you were on episode one, and you've already answered these, but I'm not letting you off that easily. I would love to know your thoughts on detached nacelles for design aesthetic. Are you a yay or a nay?
3: Um, it's not the choice I would have made. Um, kind of pretty much for what how Andy said, you know, I so I mean, like I could be sold on it if there
0: is a, a good enough reason, but uh, it's that's just not necessarily the way that I would have gone. Fair enough. Andrew and Thomas, thanks again for joining us this week. It's been a real treat. While you both head out, I'm going to go meet George for this week's All Hands on Deck segment.
1: For this week's drill, community members were given access to three ships, the Enterprise A, the Excelsior, and the Reliant. Using only those three ships, and using all three ships, they had to decide on which they
0: would joyride, which to command, and which they would self-destruct. This is always one of my favourite all-hands-on-deck drills, because it's our take on the shag, marry, or kill game you'd play as a teenager, but of course with the Trek twist. So, in terms of most listed for each of them, the most desired to command was the Excelsior. The most desire to joyride was the Enterprise A, and the most desire to self-destruct was the Reliant. George, what are your thoughts?
1: This is 100% in line with what my take on this question was and as far as you've told me from the from the statistics It's pretty much the same for most other people as well. Yeah, the Enterprise A is absolutely classic. It's beautiful It's like a fine wine sort of almost especially because you don't see it anywhere in the TNG era You know they they refitted it and refitted it and they made it as good as they could and it was great You know obviously very historical in Canon, but you know it it Mm -hmm. had to go by the wayside the Excelsior I've said it before and I'll say it again. It's like a nice retirement car You know it's comfy all of the the admirals have excelsiors you know clearly they've got like not a lot of stairs they're quite nice to move about in and live in they've got all the mod cons and they're just sturdy and they've been around forever and they're yeah. really i don't know they're, they're great and the reliant uh, i don't know miranda classes get a bad <laughs> they have
0: a bad rep out of all the responses and there were a lot a lot of passion came through for this one but over 80 percent of the responses had that exact combination with the excelsior being the most desired to command joyride enterprise a and then self-destruct reliant now in terms of least desire to command. Sadly, the Reliant takes that spot as well. The least mentions for self-destruct were actually for the Excelsior, so we did get a fair amount that did say they would self-destruct the A as well as the Reliant. I couldn't imagine self-destructing the A.
1: I think there are so many Mirandas out there it feels like a constitution class is like a, a classic car, you know? You need to have special insurance to fly it in the TNG era, but the Miranda classes, the Reliant,
0: they're everywhere. Yeah, I tried to put my mind in those individual shoes who said that, but for those that said they were going to self-destruct the a they said they would command the reliant and joyride the excelsior so i think they've just got maybe a different thought maybe they're big fans of con right so uh maybe they're on that side of the fence and maybe that's why they they want to get that revenge back on the enterprise and her crew but anyways really great to see so many submissions come in a lot of passion a lot of explanations too but uh but yeah it was, it was very interesting to see that combination submitted most frequently.
1: Well, I suppose there's one final thing. It's worth noting that a lot of the imagery associated with both the Reliant and the refit Connie is them exploding horribly, so
0: perhaps that's why they're not in too many people's command lists. That's, that's true. Well, if you want to participate in the weekly drills, we announce them on our Twitter towards the end of each week, so do keep an eye out. Brandon, we're coming to the end of this week's episode, but as per tradition, before we warp out, shall we announce the next special guest? we shall and yeah just each week seems to go by so fast but next week we're very excited to share that Adam Isle is stopping by the pod to talk ship with us not only is he a ship artist but he's the creator of the odyssey class which is the same class as the enterprise f you get done with one of the tng movies and you're like this enterprise e but what
1: what's the enterprise f is does that exist is that a thing so you google it you see it <laughs> and you go oh it's a fan design oh it's got two necks. Oh, it's it's really beautiful. Oh, I can fly it in Star Trek Online.
0: And then, you know, there's there's so much behind it. <laughs> Very excited to hear what he's got to say. Yeah, it's going to be a fun chat don't forget hailing frequencies are always open head to shiptalkingpod.com to transmit a message via the submission form and while you're there check out our merch Uh, we've got some really cool things I have got some new pictures that have come in so we're going to have to get those posted and we're going to start doing some giveaways of merch on Twitter so keep your eyes out and of course while you're on the website make sure to click the link to our Patreon that's at the top of the page and view the special benefits we're providing to patrons in return for their support including expanded chats with all of our guests and even the chance to interact with them on a daily basis.
1: You can also email us directly at hello at shiptalkingpod.com. It's a great way to share your feedback on the show, in addition to entries for the community queue. Brandon has
0: also personally assured me that he will reply to every single email we get, so drop us a line. I do reply to every single email, so I would love to hear from you. We're, of course, very active on Twitter. You can find us at ShipTalkingPod. Our community manager, James Amy, engages with the community there, shares daily ship facts and ship memes, and it's also where you can participate in the all-hands-on-deck drills. It's a lot of fun, so thanks, James, for all you do for the community.
1: James is a very fine fella, despite him being my constant rival for employee of the month. (laughs) Of course, the best way to support us is to tell your Trekkie and Trekker friends about the show. They can find us on any and all of the podcast platforms, or just send them to our
0: website and they can get direct links from there. And, of course, I cannot end us without giving a big thanks to you, George, for all the epic work you do as our audio engineer each week, as each episode would not go out live without you.
1: Well, shucks, Brandon. It's always a pleasure to be here, and it's been a lot easier editing all of the episodes since I got my mitts on a very fine ship-talking mug, out of which I drink late-night orange juice while I'm editing the pod. And, of course, thank you to our amazing listeners, our community, and our patrons on Patreon who support the show. You all make this a ton of fun. Until next week, may your Earl Grey be hot, and may your threat ganglia be unstimulated.
0: Well, unless you're some Kelpian Janeway type that likes coffee and (laughs) have gone through Vahari and don't have Threkanglia, you'll have to find some other way to stay unstimulated, but I hope you do. Uh, We'll see you next week. Stay well. Bye. Bye.
2: well, where's the bathroom?
4: So many people are concerned about the damn bathroom.